Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. This has been a, uh, another challenging week, has it not? We look at the uh, damage of Hurricane Ida, the surge in COVID, and then this tragic, tragic uh, shooting of a uh, student at Mount Tabor High School this week. Heavy, heavy week, and um, one that begs, begs for answers that uh, apart from Christ, we do not have. I thought we should uh, begin by just pausing to uh, have a word of prayer for those involved in all of these, these uh, matters. Lord God, we, uh, we do want to pray. We, we ask you as the healer and the helper of the hurting and the broken, uh, that you would work through the body of Christ and others in Louisiana and beyond uh, to bring relief, comfort. We pray that you would intervene and spare lives. We pray, Lord God, uh, for those in our nation today and in our own church family who are struggling from the results of COVID and, uh, Father, are finding themselves under great physical strain. We pray for healing for them. And, Father, for Mount Tabor High School and the students there, the teachers there, for the family of this student who lost his life, we pray your comfort. We pray your mercy. We pray, Father, that for believers who are there at Mount Tabor, that they would have the comfort of your spirit, but also the courage to share their hope as it is in Christ Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would put a hedge of protection around all of our students in this school year just beginning, that what we've witnessed this week would not be repeated, that there would be indeed provision for protection, I pray for teachers, Lord God, that you would grant to them courage and strength and understanding for this already difficult year. May it be so. And find every follower of Jesus in Louisiana, in hospitals around the nation, in our own school system. Find them, I pray, Father, faithful to have and to live with their armor on their, their feet fitted with the gospel of peace, ready to share, ready to display, Father, the love, the mercy, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, and the truth that are to be found in Jesus. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll be looking in particular at verses 14 through 18 of Ephesians chapter 6. This series that we're in entitled The Battle 
has given us an opportunity to look at our three enemies, but also to move on. And in Ephesians chapter 6, to see the reasons for great confidence that believers can have even in the face of great enemies. The Apostle Paul uh, has great confidence, and he says very plainly that believers can stand in the battle and stand firm. He calls on believers to make specific choices. He says, choose to be strong in the battle in Christ. Choose, he says, to be faithful in the battle by putting on Christ before the battle begins. Choose, he says, to be wise. Know who your enemies are and know who your enemies are not. They are not who you think they are. Your enemies are not visible. They are not flesh and blood. They are invisible. They are superhuman. Be strong, be faithful, be wise. And finally, he says, as we saw last week, be ready. Make these choices in advance of the, of the evil days that are to come. Now, what he does next is really significant for us because Paul displays just how serious the battle is and how important it is for believers to engage their lives and their living, to live their lives and to engage battle prepared. So he begins to unpack here in this passage the armor of God that he's already said to believers that they are to put on, to take up and put on. He describes it for them, but he goes beyond that. He shows them what it is. He shows them how it functions, how it works, how it actually leads to victory and what it requires. And so I want you to look with me beginning in, in Ephesians chapter six, verse 14 through verse 18 at the armor as Paul begins to unpack it. He says, Stand therefore, remember standing, standing firm in the midst of this battle. That is Paul's definition of winning. That is his definition of victory. It is standing in the face either of a full-on assault or on in, the, in, in, the, uh, in response to an um, uh, assault, a hidden assault, an ambush. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit and with all prayer and supplication. Now with your, with your phone on, your, your Bible open, I want you to notice the key words here in this passage. It's very critical to understanding what Paul is actually giving to us here. He says, stand, here's how you win, fasten on truth, put on righteousness, on your, uh, uh, as, as shoes for your feet, peace, in all circumstances, faith, put on salvation, use the word of God, pray at all times. All characteristics and qualities, all activities that uh, have a common source. We'll look at that in just a minute. Now, I want you to notice with me that in this rather well-known passage, 
Paul is offering a whole series of military metaphors. He's drawing from his own experience living in the Roman Empire. He's uh, giving a description of a Roman legionnaire. Legionnaires were everywhere in the empire, and so Paul knew this was an, an illustration, a series of metaphors that everyone could relate to very quickly. He wants the Ephesians, and he wants us, but he wants the Ephesians to continue to comprehend on a deeper and deeper level the reality of the warfare they're in, the very real protection that God has for them to use, and again, the urgency of taking it up and using it now. Now, a couple of observations we can make right from the very beginning. I want you to notice with me right from the, from the start that what Paul describes as protection is a complete protection. Look again at those verses, 14 to 18. It is from head to foot, head to foot. The, the protection God offers to his people is a complete protection. But I want you to notice the form that this protection takes. It, is, it comes in the, in, in the form of a certain kind of spiritual equipment or a spiritual equipping. All of those qualities that I underscored for you, righteousness, faith, peace, all of those, all of those qualities are part of the spiritual equipment that belongs to believers and actually comes from their union with Christ. These resources that are available in Christ are resources that are available and ready anywhere, anytime for spiritual attacks, and they're there for them to use so that they are not immobilized by fear. But to fully understand what Paul gives us here, we, we need to understand each of these pieces, each of these pieces of armor or protection as he offers it. Because as he does, as I said, he shows us how it works, what it provides, what it means, and what it requires to be used. It becomes so imperative. I've gotten, I've had more conversations in the last week and more uh, emails in the last week than I expected from people who, who uh, are, are sharing with me kind of the situations that they're in and what they're facing as believers. And I, I step away going, yep, the battle is real. Yep, the battle is on. If you're not in it, it's coming. If, if uh, you're not in it, in it, it's because you just finished a round of battle. Uh, and I, I, as I was looking at the passage and, and talking to people and dealing with these emails, it, it occurred to me, all right, I can, I can choose, uh, make one of two choices. I can either go 10,000 feet at each one of these uh, pieces of armor and say, now, all right, here's this piece of armor and that's what that means and here's this piece and that's what that means and here's this piece and say, you know, go thou, go thou uh, and use them. But at 10,000 feet, you're probably going to go, yeah, okay, I get, I've got a helmet, but I don't know what to do with it. I'm, I'm not sure what that means. So I've decided to um, slow down a little bit, dig a little deeper, and take these pieces, a set, a one or two, or a set at a time, so that I can be absolutely sure that you are as well equipped as I can make you in a sermon series for the battles that are coming. So that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. Some of you are right now in the thick of battle, and you need to be reminded of what you already have on you. Some of you have come through battle, and you actually got knocked down, and you don't know why. You don't know why you were defeated in it, and uh, part of what you need is to know why it was in that particular circumstance or situation you were defeated. What piece of armor were you missing? 
What did you lack? Today, we want to uh, look together at the very first piece of armor that Paul presents. And he says in verse 14, to prepare to win by standing firm in the fight, he says believers have got to do something. They've got to put on the belt of truth. He says, stand therefore, win therefore, be ready therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth or stand ready with truth as a belt tight around your waist. Paul begins his description in exactly the place where a Roman soldier would begin to prepare for battle. Uh, typically in those days, the clothes were not uh, tight fitting. They were more flowing. And a part of getting ready for battle meant dealing with your ordinary clothes so you could put on your extraordinary armor for the battle you were headed into. And what that required was a way to gather up all those clothes so that they wouldn't get in the way of your armor. The way they did it was with a belt, but not the belt that you and I typically think of. It was more like a leather apron. And so to help you get a picture for this, I have a leather apron. All right, sound guys, here I go. I'm going over my mic, around my mic. Good, did it. Excellent. Now, so here's this picture, and this is what I want you to see. He says, if you're going to be ready for the battle, you first of all have got to put your belt on. You've got to put your uh, belt, he calls it the belt of truth, on. Now, I want you to notice what, what this belt of truth, now, theirs would have been probably thicker leather than mine. It probably would have covered more space than mine, but you're just going to have to do with me with what I got. This is what I got. This is what we're doing. All right. But he would have tightened it up put it on. Now I want you to notice, and I can tell you by way of experience, just putting it on makes me feel a lot safer in front of you. <laughs> Which it, it, it kind of gathers everything up. Now the whole point of it was to put this on before you put on your breastplate, before you picked up your sword, before you put your helmet on, all those things. Before you did that, the whole point of it was to gather everything you had on and make it a unit that would fit underneath the armor and stay out of its way. Stay out of its way. We have a phrase that is related. Have you ever heard the phrase, tighten up your belt? We had to tighten up our belts. We had to strengthen ourselves. We had to pull ourselves together. This is the equivalent of that. So in this experience, part of what happens is we get ready to live in a world where we have enemies, where their attacks will come. Part of what we've got to do is we've got to find a way to gather up all that we have and make it ready for the fight that is coming. Paul says that the way we do that is by way of truth, by way of truth. What does he mean by that, by way of truth? What is this apron or belt of truth? I've never preached in an apron before, so this is a first for me. We'll see how it works. First service, it got a little hot. I'm feeling a little cold, so I'm going to leave it on for right, right now. I got pockets. It's pretty nice. All right. So what, is he, what does he mean here? What does he mean here? Um, it's, it's really fascinating to me. When you dig into this passage, one of the things you recognize is that Paul in this one passage, he starts and he gives us this description of a Roman legionnaire, but he's also 
reaching back into the Old Testament and he's using another picture along with the picture of a Roman legionnaire. If you go to Isaiah chapter 11, you find a picture of the Messiah who is prophesied to come, who comes like a warrior. And one of the things that this this warrior Messiah who is coming does is he binds truth on him around his sides. And so Paul begins to show here how the armor that the Messiah wore in his battles with the evil one in his life and temptations, his death for sinners, his resurrection is now also available to his people for their battles. It is a phenomenal kind of little insight. In other words, what Paul is saying is, here, I want you to put your armor on I want you to be prepared. Uh, Picture for yourself a Roman legionnaire, but also picture for yourself the Messiah who came, whose name is Jesus. What he is intimating here is that the very same armor, the truth, the righteousness, the peace that Christ used and employed in his living, his dying, and his resurrection, the same armor that Christ had is the armor that his people have, the same armor Christ used in his fight against the evil one, is the armor his people have and can use in their fight against the evil one. And that, to me, is incredibly encouraging because it tells me that the armor I have on is battle-tested and battle-proven. Christ wore it. He won. I can wear it. I will win. Christ wore it. He stood. He's given it to me. I can wear it. I can stand. Powerful, powerful truth. But what is this truth? What is the truth that Paul talks about? What is this truth that we are to gather up all of the common aspects of our lives with and pull together? What is this truth? Okay, it's getting warm in here. Here we go, sound guys, up over the microphone, and good. I'll probably want to put this back on later. I just know it. I can just feel it, but... There we go. I'm going to take my armor off. I think you're safe. What is this truth? What is this truth that we're to wrap our lives with like an apron? Well, when Paul uses the word truth in Ephesians, he, he speaks of it both in objective terms and in subjective terms. Objectively, it is the truth of God revealed in the gospel. It is those doctrines of faith that make our faith what it is. It's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 4, 5, where he says we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, for example. That is the truth with which we wrap ourselves in. Who God is, what he is like, what he has revealed to us about himself in Christ, what he's done for us in Christ, what he plans for us in Christ, where all of history has been, where it is going, and where it will end. All of these things are truths by which believers are to live. It is, they are the truths by which they're to bind up and hold together, if you will, or allow to hold together 
their lives. There's also, though, a, a subjective aspect to this truth. It's truth in the personal sense of taking what I know to be true about God, about the world, about myself, about history, about where history has been, about the fall and, and God's purposes in redemption, where history is now and where history is going. It's, it's gathering all that up and then using that in my life to be like Christ, to be truthful, to be honest, to have integrity so that who I am lines up with what I believe. So he's saying wrap your life up with the truth, if I could summarize it, with the truth as it is in Jesus and live it out. That is your apron, your belt of truth. The truth of God and the gospel when it is genuinely in a life, always works its way out of a life and shows the believers have been made new. And so when believers strap on their Messiah's belt of truth, they're wrapping themselves in God's truth revealed in the gospel so that they're strengthened and empowered by it to put on display the character of Jesus in their words, their attitudes, and their behavior. To fasten on the belt of truth is to take God's truth about himself, his son, his world, his people, his plans, and then to live by it. And this, Paul is saying, is primary before you do anything else, before you put any other armor on, this is where you start. This comes first. Why? Why? Why is truth so important? Why is it so very important that I live out of the truth that I've received in Jesus? Well, it's because of what it provides the belt of truth is the only way we begin to resist the devil. Why? Well, because, do you remember what Jesus called him? He's the father of lies. And when we wear truth, when we take all of our lives, every aspect of our lives, every common aspect of our lives, and we wrap it, we protect it in the truth that is in Jesus, it gives him no opportunity to gain advantage over us. Do you remember it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10? Paul explains spiritual warfare in terms of truth. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, and by the flesh here he means in physical bodies in a physical realm, he says we're not waging war according to the flesh, according to the physical realm. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, they're not physical, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Well, what kind of strongholds? What is the battle over? Paul says, we destroy, watch this, arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. What is he saying? He's saying that spiritual warfare is ultimately about truth. Spiritual warfare is ultimately about truth facing falsehood and truth overcoming falsehood. The devil doesn't hold to truth. Jesus tells us there is no truth in him. Whenever he lies, Jesus said, he speaks his native language. The primary way in which the devil schemes and strategizes to undermine your faith, to undermine your faithfulness is to misrepresent to you God's truth. 
If he can misrepresent God's truth, he can cut you off from living the life God desires for you to live. He wants to deceive believers so that they shift their focus and their attention and then ultimately their direction to lesser things, to false things that have no life but bring death. He wants us to believe lies. And his lies are really skillfully developed. They always have a mixture of truth. And so it's vital for us to see that prepared believers are those who are fully convinced of the truth of the gospel, who are fully convinced of who God is, the truth of who God is, fully convinced that he's good, fully convinced that he's wise, fully convinced that he's powerful, fully convinced that he is love. Fully convinced of who Christ is. Fully convinced of who they are in him. They're fully convinced of what Christ has done and what that means for history, past, present, and future. It's when, that they, when believers are fully convinced, knowing the what of their faith, knowing the whys of their faith, that they're able to live out of the how of their faith and conduct themselves in ways consistent with the truth of the gospel, regardless of what comes into their lives. The fight is about the truth. The fight is about living out of the truth, regardless of what comes to you or at you. Think about it with me just for a minute. Someone you love dies. What is immediately the attack of Satan upon you? It is on your faith. God must not be good. God must not be faithful. You prayed, God must not be strong. Always comes down to truth. Think, think about it. Go to, go to Genesis 3. Think about the garden. Think about the encounter of uh, Eve with a serpent. What was the challenge? The challenge was the truth. Did God really say? Are his motives really good? Don't you know better than he? What the truth really is? Can't you see it? You can be just like him. How's that sound? And he said, yeah, that sounds pretty good. It was a lie. The battle is over truth. You know, we tend to think of spiritual warfare in the most dramatic ways. We tend to think of it as a somehow related to exorcisms. I mean, if you're really into, if you're really doing battle with Satan, you're casting out demons here and there. And some of you think you've got three-year-olds who've got a couple demons, I know. But you'd like to be able to do that. I know, I know. But Paul doesn't, it's interesting here. I mean, look at this passage again. He doesn't encourage exorcisms. He encourages truth, known, believed, lived. 
Dr. Michael Heiser is an Old Testament professor who's one of the most helpful authors in understanding the biblical view of demons and the supernatural. Uh, A key conclusion from his book, Demons, which is a really fine book, is this. He says, while not spectacular, adherence to truth and committed discipleship. Don't miss this. Adherence to truth, knowing the truth, and committed discipleship, living out the truth, is what constitutes real spiritual warfare in the New Testament. It's knowing it, living it. That's where the fight comes. Knowing, embracing, living truth is at the very heart of it because Satan's first strategy is always to lie. And because it is, truth is the believer's primary defense. It's only God's truth that can dispel Satan's lies and set us free and keep us free. And so with this picture, Paul says, if a believer is going to stand firm in the fight and if a believer is going to win, they have to begin by strapping God's truth onto their ordinary, every day's day life. I need God's truth as a Christian single. I need God's truth as a Christian husband. I need God's truth in my marriage, in my, in my relationship with my children. I need God's truth as a dad, as a mom, as, as an employer, as an employee. I need God's truth wrapped around every aspect, every area of my life. I need his truth speaking into that. The way I do business, the way I don't do business, the way I I treat my wife, the way I treat my husband, I need God's truth to inform all of that, all of it, if I'm going to live protected. Because watch, watch, watch. I may be able to preach with great power. I may be ready to offer up my body to be burned. But if I don't have God's love in my life, informing my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my next door neighbor, If I don't have, I have just given Satan a place to attack and undo everything else in my life. I need for God's word to inform all that I am everywhere. Love the way Sinclair Ferguson, a Scottish theologian, put it. He says, Here he comments and he says, to buckle on the belt of truth suggests a willingness to apply the whole of God's word to the whole of our lives. All the word, all of life. And when that happens, nothing on us gets in the way of our serving him. Nothing on us gets in the way of our fighting, our battles. We don't have anything flowing. We don't have anything extra. We don't have anything uncovered. It's all tight. It's all a unit, unified by a commitment to the truth as it's found in Christ. And I'm able to stand. Nothing gets in the way of the armor, the helmet, the sword, the shoes.
The devil loves darkness. The light of the truth causes him to flee. And so Paul says, effectively, just as an ancient soldier begins to prep for battle by binding up his everyday clothes with an apron in service to a more significant cause, so too, believer, you need to begin to prep for battle by binding up your everyday lives with truth, with obedience to it, with commitment to it, with convictions resting in it so that you can live faithfully out of it. It's only in this way that the everyday parts of life will stay under the lordship of Christ and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It's only in this way that the everyday will not get in the way when the evil day comes and the struggle is on. And so what the belt of truth requires in order for it to be used is a full commitment to living out of all of God's truth, no matter the cost, no matter the discomfort. You see, loved ones, a partial commitment to living out of a part of God's truth means being only partially prepared. It means being hindered in the fight and vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. Partial faithfulness and half-heartedness on the part of a believer makes every single one of them easy prey for Satan, who, as Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 5, prowls around like a roaring lion, always seeking whom he may devour. I cannot live strong if all of my life is not covered by the word of God. I cannot do it. All of God's truth is meant to be applied to all of life. Selective obedience, loved ones, to the truth is a strategy for disaster and defeat. One of the big questions that's circling around pastors in this day and age is where have all our people gone? Where'd they all go? We had our Tar Heel Leadership Network this past week, and, and one, of the, one of the issues is where did my leaders go? The ones I thought really loved Jesus. They now say they're not coming back. Where did my workers go? They said they loved Jesus. I never... One pastor said, there's some people who have left my church that I would never have thought would ever have left my church. And they just say, I'm not coming back. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to church. There's a sense of shock. But I think we have here at least the beginning of an explanation. If your faith in Christ is rooted and grounded in, in, in a comfortable practice of it, if you don't expect it to ever cost you anything, if you're always looking for an easier route, the pandemic is a really good opportunity for you to bolt. It's a really good opportunity for you to fall in spiritual, under spiritual attack because partial commitment is only a strategy for defeat. We can never know in this life all the truth as it is in Jesus, loved ones. We will always need to be taught and learn more of the truth as it is in Jesus. 
But I think here's, here's what we've got to recognize is whatever we do know, we need to put on and we need to keep in practice. I will never, I will never load up on you a works righteousness. I, I refuse to do it. So let me give you a little bit of freedom and let me give you a little bit of word of caution. You will never know everything you, you can know about Jesus in this life. You're just never going to get to the bottom of him, which is part of his beauty. Just as you, when you think you've learned that Christ is good, <laughs> and then he shows up in your life and you find out he's gooder. How's that for good, good English? You never get to the bottom of him, but listen, 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 listen. Part of walking with him is always, it comes with a longing to know him more, to know him deeper, to know him better. And the more we know of him, the deeper we know him, the better we know him, the stronger we are in the course of life. And part of the rhythm of the Christian life is, is simply taking what we know and living that out. Hey man, in your business, live it out, live it out, and then get to know more of him, and then Live out more of that in your business. And by the way, do it in your, in your marriage. And by the way, do it as a dad. And what I said to him, I said to everybody else. Just change the pronouns or whatever. I'm reminded of the great challenge found in Philippians 3 where Paul says, Brothers, and I love this. Here's an apostle. He says, brothers, I don't consider that I've made it all my own. I don't have it all figured out. I don't understand everything. But there is one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's always calling me to more of Jesus. Let those of us, Paul says, who are mature in the faith think this way. In other words, he's saying this is how mature believers think. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. He'll help you to begin to think in that way. Only, verse 16 is key, let us hold true to what we've attained. Take what you have that you know of Christ. Wrap your life with what you've got. That's where you start. And then with every sermon, with every Bible study, with every good book written by a faithful follower of Jesus, you add to your understanding, you add to your knowledge. You got an email from a lady who said, I want to know more about the book of Revelation. Can you help me? And I love it. I say, yes, anybody wants to dig into the word of God, dig. Dig deep, get to know Jesus better. Know who God is, what he's like, what he's after, what he's about. Because it gives, why, why? What does that do? It gives me more to wrap my life in. We may not know all we need to know the truth of the goal, the prize, the upward call, but what we do know of the truth, we must hold to it and do life with it wrapped all around us. 
You see, this is the only way that my Sunday self will be my Wednesday self and my Wednesday self will be my Sunday self is if I'm wrapped up in the truth. This is the only way that my public self will be my private self and my private self will be my public self is that I am wrapped in the truth. This is the only way I will have honesty. This is the only way that I will have integrity is if the word of God is wrapped around every aspect of my life. This is the only way that I will practice what I preach and I preach what I practice. This is the only way. There's ever a disconnection between the Sunday me and the Wednesday me. And the rest of my armor will not work and I will always be vulnerable and failing. This is, for me, why the Apostle John wrote to the congregations under his care and said to them, this is the aging apostle writing to the congregations that he loves, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, those are under my care, like a spiritual father, that my children are walking in what? The truth. Because I know if you're walking in the truth and you're wrapped in the truth, that you are safe from the evil days that are coming. That's my joy. John is saying, I can't go with you. Everywhere you go, I can help you build out your, your apron, but you gotta put it on and you gotta take it when you go to the ER and work. You're in the office and you're working in that private place in your home as you're raising up your kids. I have no greater joy than seeing my people wrapped up in truth. And I can testify as a pastor the truth of that. And I hate seeing tragedy come to people in our church family. And it comes in all kinds and sizes. But while I'm weeping with them, there are, there are times when their faith is showing so strong that I find joy in seeing them face that attack all wrapped up in the truth of who God really is and what Christ has done. To walk in the truth is the only way to wear and bear the rest of the armor God gives. It takes consistent saturation, constant exposure to the Word of God. We had my, my granddaughter with us this weekend. It was an eventful weekend. Uh, it, I, it was suggested that we go buy a hamster. I said I didn't want to go. While we were at the store...
<laughs> While we were at the store, I got an education on hamsters. There were all kinds of hamsters, uh, all different kinds. My, my granddaughter called them species. I'm not quite sure she was right, but I was proud of her for knowing the word species. She's smart like her grandmother. And uh, I got a, a real education on, you know, on hamsters and what they need and don't need. And, and then when we walked out of the store, I found out that hamsters can be very expensive. So just beware, especially if a granddaughter's involved. It, it can be bad. But anyway, every time she's with us, I try to take the opportunity to saturate her little mind with God's word. I wish I knew I had known when I was a dad and still had kids in the house what I know now. If I could go back, I would focus more on saturation than I did. And I did, but not like not to the level I wish I had. Because it is the Word of God saturated in a, in a young person's mind and heart that is going to protect them against all of the counter-truths that are being thrown at them right now. So we, 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 we curled up in bed together. She's six years old, and I said, all right, Elle, let's, let's read together. We got a great book, God Made Me and You. God Made Me and You. She got excited. You know, those days aren't going to last, so I'm taking advantage of them. But I'll find some other ways to saturate. But it's a great little story. It talks about a classroom where there's two boys that are kind of mean and they make fun of other people. They make fun of one kid's clothes and another kid's the way they look and then another kid because of his skin color. And all the kids are crying and the teacher walks in the room and says, what's wrong? And and the, the children who are crying won't tell, but one little girl will. There's always a tattletale in every class. And the book takes you to Acts chapter 17. When was the last time you spent time with a six-year-old in Acts chapter 17? Probably has been a long time. But this is the point of, uh, that I'm making. We walk through what it means to be in the family of a God who is great, who has a love for people, who makes us different. And, and, and the differences among us are part of his greatness and his glory. Aren't you glad everybody's not just like you? Yes? And so we're making our way through this story, and of course, we get to the serpent in the garden. Why is it that people can be so mean and hateful? And we get to the solution of Jesus. We, get a, we make our way to a picture of heaven. <laughs> I love this little picture. What it's going to be like. Nobody's making fun of anybody anymore. Why? Because the Son of God, sent by the Father, who lived a sinless life, 
died a substitutionary death and was raised in power, lives and reigns as king over all, and one day he will restore this broken world to himself. And in the process, he's gathering a people for himself from every nation, tribe, and tongue. I need for L. Davidson to know that before she gets into second grade. I need her to know it before she gets into third grade. I need her to know it before she gets into 12th grade. I need her to know it before she goes to UNC at Chapel Hill. Why she would go there, I don't know, but I need for her to know it. I want her to know it. I want her to know the truth. Because if she knows and she is convinced that there is a God who loves her, that there is a God who has an answer for school shootings, who offers an explanation for hurricanes that bring such damage, if she knows and is convinced that this world will not always be broken now the way in the future, it will not be broken in the future the way it is now, she will have hope. And I will have left to her my greatest legacy. It is just Jesus. Wrapped up. Jesus wrapped around her life. The truth. Because I know the battle for her little life is not going to be over so much that I fear it's going to be ultimately over the truth versus the deception of the evil one. And I desperately want her to know the truth. I want her to live it. And I want the same for you and for me. It is the only way that we will stand. How's your apron? Got it on? Completely on? Is it tied up? Because you really can't put the breastplate of righteousness on until you get that apron all fitted up. Heavenly Father, we live in a world marked more and more with deception and lies. So much so that we find it harder and harder to know who to trust and what to believe. We can look at this politically, we can look at it socially, we can look at it culturally. We can look at it through the sweep of human history and the flow of ideas, but ultimately, your word tells us that we have an enemy who hates us because he hates you as the one who've created us. That his greatest joy is to see our destruction, where your greatest joy 
is to see us made whole. We face an enemy if we're believers who wants to keep us from a full realization of all that you have for us and uses the same old methods of deceit and deception and lies to keep us looking at the wrong things, wanting the wrong things, desiring and pursuing the wrong things so that his attacks on us come more easily for him and are effective in keeping us down. Oh, Lord God, my prayer is this, that you would create in us a hunger for your word and your truth, but not just a hunger to know it, but a hunger to do it, a hunger to know it, to to know how to put it on, to apply it in all the areas of our lives. Give us a passion for keeping it on so that we can stand and stand firm. Lord God, in this room today are are men and women who have lived all their lives making their own truth, deciding what is true and what is not, but who have found or who are finding that a shifting truth is no truth at all. It gives no place firm to stand. Now, I pray that today would be the day, Lord God, that you would open eyes and minds and hearts to see the glory of who you are in Christ Jesus, who came, as he said, testifying to the truth, so that all who want to know what is, what is real, what is lasting, what is eternal, might see the truth in him, might find it in him, might receive it from him. I pray that today, by turning from themselves and their own version of truth, that they might turn to you as the source of all truth and having turned, put their faith in your son who said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am life. We pray and ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.